by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden, and today is a uh, uh, historic day in uh, the annals of KNNA, and especially for Proclaiming the One. We have now completed successfully three years of Proclaiming the One. They are archived for you at the uh, KNNA website, www.thecross957.org. There are a couple of them where the recordings are a little less than satisfactory, but the vast majority of them are uh, are. Uh, pretty good quality and I think pretty good content as well. Proclaiming the One is an opportunity to look at the upcoming readings in the church here, to discuss them theologically, to discuss them historically, to look at them as an eye toward uh, growing your personal faith, and maybe even for any pastors that are listening to help guide and uh, instruct gently with uh, regard to teaching and preaching these texts. It was, uh, it was my call when we started this program three years uh, ago, and that when we would start our uh, topic, we would begin with the introit, setting the stage and laying the foundation for the readings. The um, previous three years have all begun that way. And today we're making a shift. Today we're making a change. Sometimes by doing that, we gave a great, great attention to the introit, but we didn't get a chance to get around to the other readings. And so beginning with our program today, the first Sunday in Advent, and throughout this particular church year, we're going to begin with the gospel reading. The gospel reading is the reading that, in a sense, drives all the other readings. The gospel reading is chosen by those that put together the lectionary. From the gospel reading, the Old Testament lesson was picked to coincide with the gospel reading. And then the epistle was chosen as a practical pastoral application of the theme that was brought out of the Old Testament and gospel. So we're going to do our best to follow that pattern and that theme. We'll begin with the gospel reading. We'll move to the Old Testament. And then as time allows, we'll move to the epistle. And if by some chance we get through all of those, we're, we're not afraid to go back and look at the intro to the gradual or any of those kind of things. But this is an intentional change in our format. Uh, if you want the 
introits, go back to the archives of our first first three years. Right now, we're going to begin with the gospel. Any comments on that, Pastor, before we uh, dive in? Nope, that uh, sounds like a good plan, and that way we get to make sure we hear all of God's Word, and we're um, not missing out on those parts that uh, we get too long-winded for, maybe is the way to say it, right? <laughs> yeah, and we've already covered, I think, God's Word in the intro yeah, oh, yeah. very well. I'm not denying that. That's, that wasn't yeah. my intent. So, uh, But we're just going to we're just gonna come at this a little di- bit different approach, and uh, one, of, one of the mo- most unique gospel readings for... Uh, the entire liturgical calendar is the gospel reading for the first Sunday in Advent. Matthew 21, 1 to 9, seems like it would fit pretty much anywhere else in the story of Jesus, except here. And we're going to talk about why it fits perfectly. Matthew 21, 1 to 9. Vicar Golden, take it away. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Riding on a donkey, palm branches on the ground, Hosanna to the son of David. Pastor, this is Palm Sunday. What is it doing here uh, for the first Sunday in Advent? Can uh, Can you help us put all of those pieces together And maybe the best place to start is, can you help us um, geographically and isagogically, what is going on in the Gospel of Matthew to get us to Matthew 21, 1 to 9? We have drawing near to Jerusalem, coming to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Yeah, yeah. Lots, lots that we could talk about. Uh, that that just with that little question that you asked. So uh, maybe the place to start with this uh, is to say what the word Advent means. Uh, to go back to its Latin roots, uh, it's two words in Latin: adveni, which means to come uh, closer to uh, or to draw near. And this is kind of the main theme of what Advent is: is that Jesus is coming. And we see that exactly then in our gospel lesson for today. Jerusalem is located. Um, 
to the northwest of the uh, Dead Sea. It's on uh, a mountain. It's not the tallest mountain around, but it is, um, it's on kind of a mountain. There's a, the oldest part of the city is uh, on this mountain hill between these two valleys. And as the city grew, it grew north. And then it also grew further to the west onto the next hill. And uh, Jesus is coming up uh, actually from the Dead Sea area where Jericho is. And uh, so he'll be coming uh, on the road to the west up the hill towards Jerusalem. And uh, he stayed then before this, we know from John's gospel, uh, he's come up uh, to raise Lazarus from the dead, uh, which took place in the town of Bethany. And Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem to the east. Bethphage is then right on top of the Mount of Olives, just a little tiny village that's on the way into town. Uh, And so Jesus is traveling along this road from Bethany to Bethphage and then to Jerusalem. And in fact, he'll walk these two miles back and forth uh, almost every day for the next week uh, because he'll actually sleep probably in Bethany, which is on the other side of the hill uh, from Jerusalem. And so uh, this is the way that lots of times people came to Jerusalem uh, for their visits to Uh, Jerusalem because the Jordan River Valley creates kind of a nice flat, straight, level area to travel. And so rather than going up and down and around hills, you oftentimes would travel a little ways out of your way to the Jordan River Valley and take the road directly down, went through Jericho and then up into Jerusalem. And that would actually save you time and energy getting there. Okay, so um, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is this is Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday kind of talk. And uh, uh, don't panic there, Pastor. Uh, little, we've been having technical issues with our recording all day today. And this is the third program that we're recording. And uh, sometimes things bog down at this point. But all is well. All is well. Have no fear. All is well. Okay. So, uh let me, let me ask this uh, Advent question with regard to Holy Week. Um, why in the world are we starting Advent, our season of Advent, the coming of the Lord, with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? Yeah, especially in our modern world, we want to jump right to the coming that we think is most important when Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary uh, and placed in swaddling cloths and lied in a manger. Christmas lights are up, Christmas carols are on the radio, why can't we be having Christmas in church? And and the reason that we start here is there's actually other comings of Jesus, other times where he arrives. And uh, so we we actually have three that we celebrate during the season of Advent. First, yes, we do celebrate and look forward to the birth of Jesus uh, in uh, the upper room uh, at Bethlehem. We also have the promise that Jesus is coming again on the last day to bring this world to an end and to take us to be to his, in his eternal kingdom forever, raising us from the dead. We also have the promise uh, that Jesus would come to forgive us all of our sins, uh, and that's actually where we then start. We start with Jesus coming to Jerusalem for the explicit purpose of dying to forgive all sins. And that's what we see here. And so that does fall into the theme of Advent, uh, coming towards or coming into something. And that's what Jesus is doing this morning. Okay, so we have um, all of these comings of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and we're going to cover all of them in our four-week season of Advent. Is that correct? Yes, sir. 
And in addition to that, we're going to sprinkle in a little John the Baptist. Which um, is also, it falls under that category too, and when we get there, we can talk about it. Okay. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, uh, John. Okay, so we've got a lot of different Advent themes that uh, all come to fruition during these weeks, and at this particular time, on this particular week, we have Jesus coming to Jerusalem for the explicit purpose of going to the cross to suffer and die and take away the sin of the world. And and maybe it's worth saying here real quick, this is why we celebrate Advent now and not Christmas yet, because the theme of Christmas is different, uh, that God has become man and dwells among us. Uh, and so it is a little bit different, and that's why we wait to celebrate Christmas until Christmas is here, and beforehand we're getting ready for that, talking about how he's coming, and there is difference there. We've got about a minute left in this segment. Vicar, uh, the last verse says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What is this Hosanna stuff? Hosanna is a cry out for uh, to save us. Save us. Uh, save us to this coming king, um, the son of David. Okay. Uh, and uh, Pastor, connect us to the worship service, the divine service with that Hosanna. Well, we, we sing it every week um, in our divine service, especially you probably remember it from divine service setting three. And so in doing that, we are also uh, praying that Christ would come for the purpose of saving us, and we do that uh, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven lauding and magnifying God's glorious name. Um, and, and so that does draw us then into the divine service. So the coming of the Messiah in a variety of ways. That's our theme for Advent 1. Savior of the nations come. We need to take a short break. Proclaiming the one. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings and help us prepare for our time in God's house. Today we begin a new church here. We're looking at the first Sunday in Advent, Matthew 21, 1 to 9. Vicar, get those words fresh in our brain, would you please? When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble, and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, we got these uh, familiar words, Palm Sunday words from Matthew 21. We've talked about the context. We've talked about everything leading up to this particular triumphant entry. Pastor, this, uh, this request that Jesus has, uh, go into the city, get a donkey, get a colt. If anybody asks you what's going on, um, <laughs> why are you stealing this? Uh, if anybody asks you what's going on, tell them the Lord needs it. Uh, help, help me understand this seemingly weird, strange, maybe even bizarre request from our Lord Jesus. Well, um, it has to do with the Old Testament, which um, we have the words that are actually quoted for us uh, here from the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, uh, humble and mounted on a donkey, which is uh, quoted for us uh, directly from Zechariah chapter 9, uh, and also is referenced kind of in a way to Isaiah chapter 62. And so uh, Jesus, therefore, is fulfilling the words of the Old Testament. It is kind of a unique thing um, to have this take place. a donkey's colt is not quite the normal thing that a, a king rides in on. He rides in on a white stallion with a, a finely combed mane and all this, uh, not just a, a donkey with a couple coats stacked up on top of it. And it is interesting, too, because it is quite the steep jaunt down the Mount of Olives and then back up the hill on the other side into Jerusalem. And so uh, it's just kind of a unique thing in that way. It's a way to fulfill what God has said. And we see this especially then with the words of Christ when he says, if someone asks you a question, say, the Lord needs them. This is an indication, a place where Jesus is admitting who he is and who he's working for. Uh, He is the Lord, and he's coming for the purpose then of saving and uh, making that clear in these words. We, We have, again, with this general overarching theme of God coming to his people, Jesus coming to his people, the Messiah coming to his people. See, your king comes to you. But a king would normally come, like you like you said, uh, on a on a stallion, on a steed, would come with much fanfare. And Jesus comes meekly, humbly. On a donkey, a, a colt, a foal of a donkey. Vicar, what can we learn about Jesus from this humble way he enters into Jerusalem? Well, it, it tells us a little bit of the reason why he's arriving into Jerusalem. He is uh, taking our burdens to the cross, riding on a beast of burden. Gosh, he's got two of them, so it's more than sufficient to uh, to handle the burdens that that he can take from us and take to the cross. And he does that humbly because he's about to die for us. So we have a humble servant who is still a king. Is that a contradiction, Pastor? 
Well, it shouldn't be. In our world, it oftentimes is. We think of kings. We think of, you know, Louis XVI and his uh, grand uh, That was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Versailles, right? Vickers um, going, huh? We, or we think of, uh, you know, Windsor Palace and uh, the crown jewels and things like that. Uh, but really... A king ought to serve the people that he's called to be king over. He ought to uh, take care of them, uh, if nothing else, because their livelihood impacts his uh, riches and his livelihood. Uh, But he ought to do it for more than that purpose. He's not king for his own good, but rather king for the good of those whom he serves. So we have a king who serves, a king who comes into Jerusalem humbly, And then we have all of this son of David talk. We have David as the king and the promises that there would be a descendant that would sit on his throne forever. Um, Pastor, are we talking about a human king, a divine king, which is, I think, what most people thought the Messiah would be, or is there some way to kind of bring these two extremes together? Well, the way to bring the two extremes together is in the personal work of Jesus. And this is then the focus of what Christmas is, is that God and man have now been united together in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and I need to word that even more carefully than that probably, but that's the truth is Jesus is the God-man. And so he is the human king, uh, and he is the divine king, both together in one. And he will reign forever in that way, and he shall evermore be man and God together. Uh, and therefore, we are saved by what he's going to Jerusalem to do, to die on that cross for us. So this first Sunday in Advent is really about this mystery, and really the whole season of Advent is as well as we as we unpack each week as it comes. And, and to, sorry to take no. you one step further, I mean, it is a mystery, and the crazy thing is, is it gets even more mysterious. The throne of King Jesus is a big wooden cross. The crown of King Jesus is made of thorns. The purple robe that King Jesus is dressed in to show his wealth and power and might is stripped from him. Uh, and uh, the shouts that you often hear, you know, God save the king or queen or whatever. Instead, they are come down from the cross. Uh, if you are so high and mighty, save yourself and things like that. And so Jesus kind of is a unique king in that regard. He is the opposite of everything that we expect. And uh, the opposite of everything that the world expects even today. We have many things in Scripture that would teach us that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be a divine Savior. We have many things in Scripture that teach us that the Savior would also at least have human attributes because he would be a servant and he would suffer. And the mystery is that all of these things find their perfect fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, true God begotten of the Father from all eternity, and also true man born of the Virgin Mary. He is my Lord. He is your Lord. He is the Savior and the Messiah of the whole world. Now, with this theme of coming, there are times, as we uh, as we said in the last segment, that we sing the end of Matthew 21, 
Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We sing this as a part of our divine service. Vicar, at what point in the divine service do we sing these words? And what's coming next in the worship service? And why is that significant? Just before we are about to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we sing the Hosanna, the save us, and that's exactly what is delivered in the real body and blood to us. We receive the, the tangible means of the grace of God in forgiveness for us, to us. Um, he answers our cry. So, Pastor, can we say that in the same way that Jesus entered into Jerusalem meekly and humbly, uh, riding on a donkey, right on, right on in majesty kind of stuff, that in the divine service, Jesus rides on in majesty and comes to us humbly riding on bread and wine? Is that too much of a stretch? I don't think it's a stretch at all. I think we have to be very careful about how we talk about these things, but it's the truth. He is coming to be physically present with us in, with, and under the bread and the wine uh, so that we might eat and drink them and receive forgiveness, life, and salvation in his name. That is really, truly what's happening. And so in a way, it is an advent that takes place every single Sunday throughout the entire year. So it's an Advent that takes place every single Sunday throughout the year. It's a Palm Sunday that takes place every single Sunday through the year. And when you put Advent and Palm Sunday together, you have Jesus crucified and risen for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Isn't that what the Holy Meal is all about? The whole enchilada. The whole enchilada. In our, uh, in our time that we have left, Pastor, um, on Palm Sunday, the Old Testament reading is Zechariah 9. And Zechariah 9 is being fulfilled here in Matthew 21. Can you say a few words about the promise that was given in Zechariah 9 and is now fulfilled in Matthew 21 by Jesus the King riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? Well, um... The, the promise is, is the whole topic of the entire Old Testament. So to say it in a few words is a, a tricky thing. The book you, of Isaiah. you got about a minute. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> there we go. A thousand pages into a minute. Zechariah is written uh, at the return of the people of Judah from exile in Babylon. And it's kind of a way to say, look, things might look really bleak. All the glory that your kingdom was before is gone. But... There is a promise that the new king is coming, and he'll be even better than all the kings before, and he will reign on the throne forever. And actually, I think Zechariah would say he's the fulfillment of the promise given to Adam and Eve, renewed with Noah, given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Judah, uh, at the death of Jacob, and carried all the way through. Uh, you can trace the lineage. We even have this in uh the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, this king that's coming is going to be that guy. And this king who comes, comes for you. He comes to save you. He comes to give his body and blood on the Good Friday cross and rise from the dead on Easter Sunday. He continues to come in word and sacrament. Savior of the nations come. 
This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the first Sunday in Advent. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our Old Testament reading for Advent 1, Jeremiah 23, 5 to 8. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. During this Advent season, not only do we worship Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between, Wednesday evening Advent service at 630. We have Wednesday church year-round as well, but we have an Advent fellowship meal serving from 5 to 615 in the congregation. Come join us, visit, hear the Word of God, receive the gifts of God, and see, literally, that your King Jesus is coming coming for you, coming to save you, coming to give you life. In our readings for the first Sunday in Advent, we want to take a look now at the Old Testament reading. And um, uh, remember uh, when we talked about how these readings are chosen, and uh, they've been around the church for uh, well over a thousand years. Uh, so a few tweaks have been done to the lectionary, but uh, this this has been around really in one way, shape, or form since about the fourth century. And so um, there, there's a lot of theological acumen that has gone into uh, how these words and how these readings are put together so that in the best way possible, Christ can be exalted. There is, a, there is a definite bias in how these readings are put together, and that bias is Jesus. Now, in our first two segments, we heard about the Holy Gospel from Advent 1, Matthew 21, 1-9, with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And now the Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah 23, 5-8. Vicar? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Okay, we have the prophet Jeremiah giving uh, words of law and gospel. And I want to start at the end 
pastor with uh, with some of this uh, geographical, isagogical kind of stuff. As the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. What is Jeremiah, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talking about here? <clears throat> yeah, um, we got to put it all in complete context here to kind of understand um, the, the geography of this particular part of the world. Sometimes we call it the Fertile Crescent. Maybe you've heard that in your uh, junior high history class. Very common phrase. Right, hopefully you have, right? And what this Fertile Crescent is, it starts down in Israel, and it goes up toward the north, and then it kind of hooks around and catches up with the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers and then follows those down into Iraq. Uh, between the two horns of this crescent, so it's kind of like a – a half moon with the dome on top and the uh, empty spot underneath, right? The empty spot in between the two horns of this crescent are dry desert that are impassable because there's not water that you can drink between those things. So uh, when we're talking about those coming from the north, we're actually talking about Babylon, Assyria, Persia, and those sorts of people who actually live more to the east than to the north. But to get to Israel, they have to come from the north because they can't go through the desert between those two points in a straight line. So uh, in this particular case, the shortest distance is not a straight line, but it's actually going up and around uh, and down. And so Jeremiah is writing at the end of the kingdom of Judah, shortly before it gets destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, and the people are led away into exile in Babylon. And this um, exile in Babylon will last for about 70 years, and then Cyrus the Great, king of Persia, which conquers this whole kingdom, uh, takes over, and he will let the people go back. And the way that they'll have to come back from Babylon is from the north because of that same reason as before. So, as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country, Babylon, Persia, uh, that area, uh, and all the other countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. This is that very promise uh, at least 70 years before it takes place. So it's a promise 70 years before it takes place, and it's built upon, it appears to me, another promise. As the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Uh, there, there seems to be a constant refrain in almost all the prophets. And that is the exodus, the red, crossing of the Red Sea, God delivering the children of Israel out of bondage through the Red Sea waters. Is, uh, is that what's going on here, Pastor? Yeah, that's the same promise that's there. Um, and so you see, in both of these cases, God is shepherding his people from these other places and bringing them into the promised land. And I'm just going to take it one step even further. This is the exact same thing with Abraham. Abraham starts in Iraq, and he's called to come down into 
the, the promised land. And then he goes down into Egypt, and God then leads him up out of Egypt and back to the promised land. And so we have this travel back and forth between uh, Babylon and Egypt that takes place several times. Now, the, the shepherding part's important because Jeremiah's context is, uh, he talks right before this in chapter 23 about the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of the pasture, uh, the shepherds uh, who have preached false words, who have scattered the flock and driven them away, have not attended to them. Uh, he calls them evil, and he says that I will gather a remnant. And this then drives us to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is the one who calls all these people from all these places and brings them to the promised land. Even he does that for us through the waters of holy baptism. The promised land is where we are headed, right? Uh, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Uh, the promise of the resurrection on the last day. That same thing is taking place now to be led out of the great tribulation uh, through Jesus Christ. So all these things from all of Scripture are being carried in these few verses. So uh, back in, if I'm re- if I'm reading this right, and please stop me and correct me if I'm wrong. Back in the olden days, you used to brag people of God, that God led you through the Red Sea waters and the exodus, Mm -hmm. that God delivered you. But I'm telling you that in the future, you're going to brag about an even bigger deliverance. And that's the second half of our text. The first half of the text is setting up what that bigger deliverance is all about. Again, with this theme of coming, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. The righteous branch imagery. Are we talking about the branch of a tree? Are we talking about the branch of a family line? A dynastic kingdom kind of a branch? What branch are we talking about, Pastor? Well, those things you mentioned all fit into the idea. Um... It goes back, like like the last time, right before the end of the last segment, goes back all the way to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when God promises a Savior that would be born of Eve. This promise is carried on throughout all the generations, uh, uh, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, uh, to Perez, and all the way down. Uh, you get to uh, Ruth and uh, uh, Boaz, who have their grandson David, who becomes the king, and God renews the promise of David, who says, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne, and it gets passed on down through the king, splits and comes together different ways, and it finds its fulfillment in Jesus, which is the crazy thing, because at the fall of Jerusalem in 586, it looks like the, uh, the family tree, the dynastic tree of King David has been cut off, uh, stumped down, uh, if you will. Isaiah, and, Isaiah 10 kind of stuff. Right. And, and I, Yeah, exactly. Isaiah says the same thing. The root from the shoot will bear fruit, right? <laughs> um, and so what happens is, is that the line actually isn't dead. It's still alive and um, will find its fulfillment in Jesus. So what looked like a dead stump now sends up a new shoot, and that shoot then overtakes the entire world. I think Jesus tells a parable to this effect uh, as well that we, boy, I don't know if we preach on that in the one year, but uh, it's an important parable for us to consider in regard to that. Okay, now I'm saving the best for last. I hope it's the best. Uh, 
um, this this righteous branch. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a king that's different from all the other kings. He's going to be just. He's going to be righteous. Uh, he's going to deal wisely. This is all that king talk that we had in our previous two segments with the king coming in riding on a donkey in Matthew 21. I want to go with, with what he's going to be called. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. What's going on with this name? And when I think of the Lord is my righteousness, I think of justification. Um, is that a too big of a leap? Am I trying to impose my Lutheranism on the text? Or is Jeremiah Lutheran here? I think Jeremiah is Lutheran, um, and I think you're taking it the exact right direction. The Lord is our righteousness. He's the one who we are clothed in, in the waters of baptism, so that when God looks at us, he sees not our sin, but rather he sees how we've been saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so it is justification by grace through faith. Jeremiah is a Lutheran, uh, just like uh, all the rest of the biblical characters are, at least the faithful ones. So, so we have here in Jeremiah, we have God speaking through Jeremiah at, at a very, very difficult time when the people are wondering whether God is with them or not. The people are wondering if they've backed the right horse, if, um, if all these evil enemies are going to be triumphant at the end. And Jeremiah basically says, hold your horses, calm down. God is in complete control. You thought this Exodus Red Sea thing was big. In the future, people are going to be talking about an even greater deliverance. And this greater deliverance is going to be the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who justifies you, and he's the king that you've been waiting for. This uh, is really brought home to us in the prayer that we pray around baptism, where we say, uh, as you uh, saved, believing no one is family uh, through, the wa uh, through the flood and brought to the people of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground, sanctifying that all waters should uh, be a lavish washing away of sin. Uh, we, we pray that prayer, uh, the flood prayer, and that really drives home that point that the real salvation is the one that takes place not by us being rescued from a worldwide flood, not by being brought through the Red Sea, but through a few drops of water poured on our head in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy spirit in that flood uh, we really truly have salvation well said pastor moly well said we need to take another break when we come back we're going to take a look at the epistle reading for advent one romans 13 8 to 14 don't change that dial you are listening to k and LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is a, a very special day for us, our anniversary day at Good Shepherd uh, with regard to 
Proclaiming the One radio program. We have recorded three full years of Proclaiming the One. They're on our archives on our website, uh, www.thecross957.org. And uh, we are beginning our fourth year. And with that, we're changing our format just a little bit. We're not beginning with the introit. We did that the first three years. We're beginning with the gospel reading, which really drives the theme of the day. From the gospel, we're going to the Old Testament. And then if we have time, in our fourth segment, we're going to be looking at the epistle. And the epistle for Advent 1, Romans 13, 8 to 14. Now remember, we're looking for a practical application of everything that we've talked about so far especially that theme, God comes to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ for you, to justify you, to robe you with his righteousness, to save you. Vicar, take it away. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not, commit, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then... Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, we have... um very, very powerful words in Romans chapter 13 here. And uh, a lot of times when, when people hear Romans 13, they're thinking of something completely different. When, when people hear Romans 13, uh, I won't put vicar on the spot. Pastor, what, what do people usually think of with Romans 13 uh, in these verses that come before Verse 8. Well, uh, Romans 13 is where Paul encourages us to submit to the worldly authorities, the uh, pray for Caesar or the president or uh, obey the laws, don't speed, pay your taxes, those sorts of things. Render unto Caesar that which are Caesar's. Um, great, uh, great scene from Sergeant York and the uh, uh light coming on for uh, for young sergeant your great movie uh gary cooper by the way um but uh, here in romans 13 we're talking about a debt right off the bat oh no one anything um are we talking about a david ramsey uh debt management course here pastor well um no i don't think paul is is talking in that way. It's it's probably good to be wise about those things, but I don't think that's what he's saying. Rather, he's talking about um, spiritual things, uh, 
don't be indebted to someone because of your sin. I think we, we preached about this a couple weeks ago uh, a little bit. And so um, I don't know how to say it any different than that. Don't commit open, unrepentant sin against someone and therefore be indebted to forgive them or something like that. Live like a Christian, maybe is the way to say it. There are many different, different definitions of the word love in our world today. Here in Romans 13, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Vicar, what in the world does this loving each other, loving love fulfilling the law have to do with verses not verse yeah verse nine which is uh, basically a listing of the ten commandments well that is a summary of the uh, the second table of the commandments is to love one another and uh, as justified saved christians uh, we are to uh, go by the guide of the law because our sinful nature demands it and what, that, what is that? That is to love one another. Now, Vicar, you said as justified and redeemed Christians, we should love one another. Uh, Pastor, how can I be sure that loving one another is not what makes me justified? Well, because uh, we have other scripture that clearly teaches that, that we are saved by grace through faith, uh, not by works of the law, that no one may boast or brag. Uh, and so this is the reality that's taught throughout all the pages of scripture. God saves us by grace through faith, not by ourselves, not by our actions. And I think it's worth pointing out, too, that um, you'll notice that uh, this listing of the Ten Commandments, it starts with, uh, you shall not uh, commit adultery. And right before that, then we have uh, the discussion about authority. And so all the authorities uh, really fall into the fourth commandment and uh, uh, the other, he's listing all of them here, loving one another. And so that's what Christians do. That's how they act. That's how they behave, not how they're saved. So this uh, Lord, our righteousness, who robes us with righteousness and has given us the forgiveness of sins is teaching us here that we should, not, um, we should not be in debt to anyone. Our debt has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, as redeemed, justified Christians, just like Vicar said, God calls us to love. We are to love one another as Christ has freely loved us. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's verse 10. Earlier in verse 8, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Pastor, I thought Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Yes, and that's uh, exactly what it's saying here. Um, love fulfilling the law is Jesus. And now, as you are a Christian in Jesus, you do the same thing, or really Christ does it in you, maybe is the way to say it. And so you do fulfill the law. And so when God looks at you, he says, look, there's Jesus. Uh, not that you are God, man, Jesus himself, but rather that you are in him and covered by him, clothed in his righteousness. One of the things that manifests itself as a part of this love for neighbor is, ding dong, knowing what time it is. 
knowing what time it is. And that's why it fits in so well here is, uh, as an Advent reading. Besides this, besides all this love talk, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. What kind of sleep are we talking about here, Vicar? To wake from our sleep. Well, wait. Now that faith has been given in us and good works should follow, we need to wake up and uh, and follow this word of God that tells us how we should live our lives. Wake up and be aware of uh, of all these things that go around us. Forgive our neighbor, loving our neighbor, and not being lazy. Sleeping is pretty natural. Uh, just the week before the last Sunday of the church here, we had the 10 virgins, five had faith and five didn't have faith. All 10 fell asleep. What does this tell us about the nature of sleep when we're talking about here falling asleep with regard to God's word, falling asleep with regard to God's promises? What does this tell us about this, um, issue or this problem that lives and dwells inside of every Christian? Well, uh, sin is there, and sin's desire is to make us, as Pink Floyd said, comfortably numb. And uh, I hate to say it, we look around the world today, so many people are comfortably numb. They just kind of get up, they do their things, they go to bed, they don't they don't act with any urgency towards the faith. And um, that's kind of, I guess, the point Paul's trying to make here. If Christ was coming back tomorrow and you knew it, you might actually spend some time today in God's Word. You don't know if he is coming back tomorrow or not. He might be. And if that's the case, oughtn't we be in God's Word? Oughtn't we not be comfortably numb? Oughtn't we actually show concern and care about the Christian faith and about our neighbor in need? Uh, and uh, so that's that's really what Paul's argument is here. So the time is short. Jesus is coming back again in power and might and glory. Wake up. Listen to the Word of God, and as you hear the Word of God and take this Word of God seriously, we will realize what is important. Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, let us not walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Pastor, as I read those words, I am reading 21st century America. I am what you reading, see on your TV, isn't it? I am reading 2019, bleeding into 2020. This is every cable news channel. This is every premium TV channel. This is Netflix. Uh, this is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, am and I am I overstating my case? And it's celebrated in all those places, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and uh, uh, pushed upon us and. Uh, uh, if we don't conform to this, then we're called uh, a prude or a ludite, uh, things like that. And so this is just the reality of our world. And Paul says, wake up from this comfortable numbness and, uh, and believe in Jesus, essentially. Wake up from this com Come to the comfortable numb numbness, you ludite. You know, yeah, I don't right. know that I'm going to hear that from anybody but you, Pastor. <laughs> uh, the last verse of our epistle reading says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I do it? What, what are my 10 steps, Vicar? How do I put on Jesus? Well, 
to to be able to put on Jesus, you need to start a process of sanctification to be holy. And that is not done by you. That is done for you in baptism. Uh, his word is added to water, and Christ is put on us. We are clothed in righteousness, reconciled to the Father as well. The best thing you can do with the word of God is believe it. If you believe it, by grace through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will live it. Put on Jesus Christ. That's that, that robe of righteousness, the Lord our righteousness from Jeremiah 23, verse 6. That's Jesus for you. Vicar, would you uh, bring things to a close with the collect for the first Sunday in Advent? Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 This is Proclaiming the One, first Sunday in Advent. Sunday morning, get up. Drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, but most importantly, go to church. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next week.